All right. Yesterday was my anniversary, and uh, actually, it was our anniversary. And yes, my wife dressed me. You know, in John chapter 4, Jesus made it clear to the woman at the well that worship is not just being in the right place at the right time with the right clothes and the right rituals and the right words. Jesus said to her, an hour is coming and now is when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Because God is spirit. Which we said last time means you cannot reduce him to a form. He is infinite and eternal. And you cannot confine him to a place because he is omnipresent He does not dwell in temples made with hands. But having said that, let me add an addendum. And that is, there is one place God dwells. There is one temple God has chosen to take up residence in. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens in a temple? What is a temple designed for? It's designed to worship. So you are a mobile temple. Everywhere you go, you are to be worshiping the Lord. Which tells me you can worship the Lord on a beach on your vacation. You can worship the Lord in your car during rush hour traffic when other people are screaming. You can be worshiping. You can worship God on a hospital bed in the ICU unit. Anywhere you are, everywhere you are, you are a living temple of the Holy God. You say, well, does that mean I don't have to go to church? Well, in a sense, you don't. Because you can worship God anywhere and everywhere. But let me add another dimension to that aspect. In 2 Corinthians 6, 16, it says we, the body of Christ, we, the church, are the temple of the living God. Ephesians 2, 19 says you are of God's household and are being fitted together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord. 1 Peter 2.5 says we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And so not only are we individually temples of the Spirit of God, we are collectively the temple of God. And again, what is a temple designed for? To worship the Lord. And so we are designed to be a worshiping community. And the question I want to ask us this morning is, is that happening? 
Are we a worshiping community? And if not, why not? You know what the biggest hindrance to worship is? It's really the biggest hindrance to everything in your spiritual life. And that is selfishness. Selfishness is the natural inclination of fallen human beings. And unfortunately, when we honestly examine our spiritual lives, much of what we do is simply baptized selfishness. We do things and we have an angle to it that wants to please me. And I would suggest to you this morning that one of the areas that shows up most prominently is in the area of worship. We talk about the freedom to worship God as we please. I would rather us be talking about worshiping God the way He pleases. We say, did you enjoy the worship service today? Did you get a lot out of it? That's not really the way to measure worship. We should be asking questions like, what did I put into it? And what did God get out of it? And did God enjoy the worship service today? Now, what kind of worship does God enjoy? What kind of worship pleases God? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 4, he says, The Father seeks to be worshipped in spirit and truth. To worship in spirit means to worship from your inner person, to worship from the inside out. The emphasis is not on all the external stuff. It's not on the place, the time, the forms, the rituals, but rather it's on the internals, your heart, your soul, your inner man. To worship in spirit is to worship with a repentant, broken, humble spirit before the Lord. And that's the kind of worship that pleases God. In fact, he's seeking people that will worship him in spirit. And then secondly, it's to be in truth, which tells me that our worship is not arbitrary. It's not just emotional. It's not just that I worship God any way I choose. It's not enough to be sincere. It's not left to our speculation on how we're to worship God. Because we are to worship the God who has revealed Himself in His Word. It's the God who has made Himself known to us in His Word. And the thing about the Word of God is we don't... And we we place a great emphasis on the Word of God here in this church, but we don't do that as an end in itself. We study the Scriptures in order to understand and know the heart of God. And the more we know God, guess what? The more we'll worship. You see, we don't study the Bible 
so that you'll simply know more facts. It's not so that you'll win at Bible trivia. You'll know who Ham's second cousin is. We study the scriptures because we want to know God and know the heart of God. And guess what? That's a never-ending process. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him. Didn't he know him? Yeah, he knows him. But to know an infinite, eternal God is going to be not only a lifelong process, but I believe an eternal process, that we will continue to get to know God in the ages to come because we will never fully know him. And the more we know him, the more we will appreciate him, and the more we appreciate him, the more we will worship him. In Ephesians 1.17, Paul prays for us as Christians that we may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Some of my most exciting times of worship happen in my office. I'll be sitting in my office studying, and I'll come across something in Scripture that I've never seen before, and that happens to me all the time. I'll see some new facet of God, some new angle of God, something that just excites me about the Lord. And I'll just break into prayer before the Lord. Sometimes I have to close my door. I'll get excited, and I'll dance around my office. I'm so excited about what I've discovered about the Lord, and it causes me to worship him because I see him in a new light. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. Let me show you something. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. Go to Ephesians 5, put your finger there, and then go to Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, look at verse 16 and 17. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now notice this response. There's thankfulness, there's singing, I'm doing everything in the name of the Lord. What's going on here? Praise and thankfulness. Worship to the Lord. Now what causes it? In verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. When I let God's word richly dwell within me, the result is the kind of worship that God desires. Now, go over to Ephesians chapter 5. Notice verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Same response, singing and thankfully praising the Lord, worshiping the Lord. What causes it in Ephesians 5? Verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. 
Interesting. When I am filled with the Word of God, I respond in true worship. When I'm filled with the Spirit, I respond in true worship. What's that tell me? God wants to be worshipped how? In spirit and in truth. When I am submissive to the Spirit of God, when I'm sorry, when I am submissive to the Word of God and letting God reveal Himself to me, not just what I like about God, but all the revelation of God, when I'm receiving that and submitting to who He is, that's worshiping in Word. And when I'm filled with the Spirit of God so that I die to me and He fills me up, that's all of me, then I'm worshiping in Spirit. And God wants to be worshiped in Spirit and in truth. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a true worshiper? See, I can't always tell. I I can look at you and you may look like you're worshiping, but only God knows if you're worshiping in spirit and in truth. You say, well, I... Dan, I'm not really worshiping the way I I should, but I have an excuse for not worshiping. You ever make excuses for not worshiping? I thought of three of them. Maybe these are excuses you try to use for not worshiping. Number one would be, I've done so many things wrong in my life that I, I really don't feel comfortable worshiping the Lord. I've done so many things wrong that I don't feel worthy to be able to worship Him. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then to complicate his sin, he had her husband murdered. And then he sat by and watched the baby from that union die because of his own sinful behavior. You know what it says David did? 2 Samuel 12, 20. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, came into the house of the Lord, and worshipped. Why could he do that? Because in the same passage, it says that he repented before the Lord. He said, I have sinned. The beautiful thing about God is that when we sin, the only condition for worship is to come and repent before the Lord. And when you repent before the Lord, there is no probation period. David got up immediately, went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He didn't say, you know, I need to really wait a week. Make sure I got my life right. God's not looking for that. Because God has already covered your sin at the cross of Calvary. He wants you to come and honestly repent before Him. Give it to Him. And then come and worship. So if you're sitting here today saying, I'm not worthy, that's not a legitimate excuse. You say, well, I can't worship God because... I'm having some difficult circumstances in my life right now. 
My, my life is really kind of, I've been hit by all kinds of trials, and I'm in a difficult place right now, and I'm really hurting, and I'm a little bitter about it all, and I really can't worship right now. Have you read Job lately? It says, on a certain day that a servant came up to Job and said to Job, the Sabians came and took the oxen and the donkeys and killed all the servants. I'm the only one who survived, and I came right here to tell you. And while he was still talking, another servant came up and said, the sheep and the servants were in the field, and fire came out of heaven and burned them all up. I'm the only one who survived, and I came here to tell you. While he's still talking, another servant comes up and says, the Chaldeans attacked, took all your camels, killed all the servants, I'm the only one who survived, and I came right here to tell you. While he's still talking, another servant comes up and says, all your sons and daughters were in your oldest son's house. A big wind came, knocked the house down, and killed them all. How's that for a bad day? You know what Job did? Job chapter 1 and verse 20, he tore his robe. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground, and he worshipped. He worshipped. Say, things aren't going right in my life right now. I really can't worship God the way I'd like to. Can I tell you something? I believe that the worship that pleases the Lord the most is the worship that comes out of our own hurt and our own pain and our own difficulty. When you are beaten down by trials and circumstances and you're able to worship God, I believe there's a quality to that worship that is not found in your other work. When things are going great and you say, thanks God, I'm so thankful you've blessed me, that's a lot easier than when circumstances go wrong and you're beaten down and you don't know how you're going to make it through tomorrow and you're still saying, God, I praise you. You have opportunities to praise God on this earth today in those difficult situations that you will never have in heaven tomorrow. When you get to heaven, there won't be any problems. There won't be any difficult circumstances. There won't be any pain, no suffering. You'll be praising God in a different atmosphere there. But today, you have an opportunity in the midst of your painful trials to give God glory that I believe is unique and special to him and that he especially appreciates. It's not an excuse to say times are tough. I can't praise the Lord. Third excuse, you say, well, I don't feel like it. I, I don't feel like worshiping. I mean, it's, it's too hard to worship. I've got to get up on Sunday morning and come to church. I've got to... Get outside myself to worship the Lord. I think about Abraham. You know, God came to Abraham in Genesis 22, and he told him to take his son up on the mountain and kill him. And Abraham goes to the mountain, and he turns to his servant, and he says, Isaac and I are going to go up on the mountain and worship He's going up to sacrifice his son, and he's calling it worship. 
You think that was easy? You think he felt like doing that? Writer of Hebrews calls it in Hebrews 13, 15, a sacrifice of praise. What's a sacrifice? Something you put to death. Something you give up. Worship costs you something. In fact, David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to give him anything that doesn't cost me something. That's the very nature of worship. So have you got sin in your life? Deal with it. Where are you going to go except to the Lord? Because he's the only one who can forgive it. Have you got difficult circumstances in your life? Accept them as God's way of working in your life to make you more like Christ and praise him in the midst of them. Do you not feel like it because it's too hard? Realize that the very nature of worship is to give back to the Lord. Let me give you a few suggestions on being a better worshiper. I have no outline because I'm giving you sort of a, uh, call this uh, worship stew. I'm just going to throw some ingredients in here and, and uh, you can pick and choose. I'll give you some suggestions to be a better worshiper. Don't leave our worship service asking, did I enjoy it? Leave asking, did God enjoy it? You see, when it comes to worship, we have an audience of one, and that is God. And the question is, is he enjoying our worship today? Is he pleased with our worship? I would love to see us all come to church with an attitude that says, I'm coming to worship and I'm coming to serve. If we all came to give, I know that God would be pleased. And that takes a little preparation because you've got to deal with your selfishness before you come here. Say, I'm going to get myself out of the way and I'm going to come with an attitude that says, today... I want to worship God in a way that pleases Him, and I want to serve others around me and not be looking at myself today. Suggestion number two. Practice praise and thanksgiving at home. Practice it in your devotions. When you have your prayer time, and I'm guilty of this too a lot of times, I come to the Lord and I tend to ask, 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 instead of balancing that with thankfulness to the Lord. When we come in prayer, we're to pray with thanksgiving. Are we thankful? Do we express that to the Lord? You see, we need to be practicing praise and thankfulness individually so that when we come together, we are united in praise to the Lord. See, this is not the place to make up for a lack of praise and thanksgiving in your individual life. Third suggestion, 
Give even when it hurts. Learn to worship God even when you don't feel like it. There are a lot of Sundays I don't feel like coming here. And my wife says, you've got to, you're the preacher. I'm sure there's a lot of Sundays when you go, man, I don't really feel it today. I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes the Sundays when I don't feel like coming are the Sundays when I feel like after getting here, my worship is more meaningful to the Lord, and I realize this is the place I really needed to be more than anywhere else. If you're not feeling like it, you're in a dangerous spot, and you need to be here. Third, fourth suggestion. Learn the art of giving compliments. You know, we're, we live in a, a culture where it's very accepted to be cutting people down all the time. And some of us have never learned the art of giving a compliment to another person. And so when we come time to give compliments to God, we're like, we got no vocabulary to use. Start with the people around you. I I wrote a card to my wife the other day, and I just started it out. Here's some of the things I really appreciate about you. And I just started listing things. And uh, if you guys need some pointers, I'll, I'll show you the card later. <laughs> Practice complimenting. Fifth suggestion. In the words of Jesus in Revelation 2, some of us need to return to our first love. Some of us are guilty of being very involved in doing things and active in our spiritual life, active in the church. And Jesus looks at the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2 and says, I like all that stuff, but I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. You see, I believe if you really love Jesus... You can't help but praise Him. I told you it was our anniversary yesterday. I I don't know when the infatuation stage ends, but I am still infatuated with my wife, which makes it a little irritating to be around me because if you bring up the subject of my wife, I'm always talking about how beautiful she is, how lovely she is, how sweet she is, how amazing she is. And then I will almost bring you into the conversation. I'll say, don't you think she's lovely? Isn't she just the most amazing one? And you're going, oh, man. How do I get out of this conversation? When you read the Psalms, that's what the Psalm writers are doing. They're going, I love the Lord. He's amazing. And they're singing praises to the Lord. And then they're telling you, come, join me. In praise to the Lord. If you love the Lord, you will be praising the Lord. G.K. Chesterton said the absence of praise reveals that our religion is more a theory than a love affair. You say, well, 
what are some of the ways that God enjoys being worshipped? Let me give you three. These are based on the three primary words that Israel used for praise in the Old Testament. And those three words are halal, yada, and zamar. You don't have to know this. Halal means making a noise. Yada is associated with bodily actions and gestures, and zamar is a word that means playing an instrument or singing, which tells us that God is to be praised and worshipped in a variety of ways. One is making a noise. Halal. Psalm 47.1 says, Shout to God with the voice of joy. When is the last time you did that? Shout to God with the voice of joy. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Or the New American Standard Version says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Now most of us aren't very comfortable with that. Shouting joyfully to the Lord. But that's unfortunate because the Psalms are filled with exuberant praise. We went up to St. Louis Thursday and Friday to celebrate our anniversary, and uh, I asked my wife where she wanted to go on Thursday night, and she said she wanted to go to the hockey game. Eat your heart out, guys. (laughs) So... We, we called last minute about some tickets that were listed online, and, and I negotiated on the drive up and got them for half price, and we got tickets, never been this close in a hockey game. We were on the glass in the hockey game and watching the game, and, and uh, it was two to nothing, the Blues were losing, and then it was two to one, and it came down to the end of the game. There were like a minute and a half left in the game, and the Blues tied up the game. I'm sitting on the front row, best seats I've ever had, and I caught myself up on the glass, you know, doing this and yelling as loud as I could because, you know, we ended up losing in overtime, but it was exciting for that moment. If I read the Psalms right, that's what God is saying we should be doing in praise to him. We should be shouting joyfully. We should be exuberant in our praise for him. You say, well, that's not very dignified. Well, who says it's not dignified? If the Lord says he wants us to shout joyfully, then there is a time and a place for shouting joyfully to the Lord. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you're not comfortable with joyful shouting, you're not going to be comfortable in heaven. Because in Revelation, I don't know if we've got the slides, I was going to put these up. Have we got these? In Revelation chapter 5, as you can see right there, there it is, good. Revelation chapter 5, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a what? A loud voice, 
Worthy is the Lamb. Revelation chapter 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation 19.1 After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Verse 6 Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. God wants to be worshipped with joyful shouting. Second, second way to praise God is by bodily actions and gestures. The Greek word or the Hebrew word is yada. Yada. Psalm 47:1 says, "Oh clap your hands all peoples." So it would be appropriate to have a standing ovation for God. Psalm 123:1 says, "To you I lift up my eyes." Psalm 63:4 says, "I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands." In your name. Psalm 149.3 says, Praise His name with dancing. My mom used to say, Be still, you're in church. Mom, that was unscriptural. Psalm 95.6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. What body language do you use in worship? If this is your body language for worship, I don't see that in the Bible. In fact, Close your eyes and bow your head is not in the Bible. We say that all the time. It's not in the Bible. The Bible talks about lifting your eyes to the Lord. You say, well, bodily gestures is not that important. Okay, it's not the primary thing. You can have all the bodily gestures and not have the right heart and be totally far from God. But when your heart is right... These bodily gestures are things that God calls us to come and worship Him with. I don't know about you, but when I'm alone and I'm serious about something in prayer, I don't sit at my desk with my feet crossed on the desk to ask God for that. I get down on my knees. And I ask God in prayer because that's a gesture of humility and dependence on Him. And when I'm really wanting something, guess what? I fast. Is fasting important? 
God mentions it quite often. That's really a bodily gesture to the Lord. I think we need to reevaluate the way we worship in terms of our body language to the Lord. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo, that carries the idea of prostrating yourself before the Lord. Which, as I look through Scripture, is obviously one of the most significant positions. Why was King Nebuchadnezzar so enraged at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Because they would not bow down and worship the golden image. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan took Jesus onto a high mountain and said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you will fall down and worship me. Falling down, bowing down, prostrating yourself before the Lord is an expression of worship. When Peter came to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, it says he fell at Peter's feet and worshipped, and Peter said, stand up, because I too am just a man. In Revelation 19.10, John fell at the feet of the angel to worship him, and the angel said, don't do that, I am a fellow servant of yours Worship God. Fall down and worship Him. So there are many bodily actions and gestures by which we express our praise to the Lord. And then the third way that God enjoys praise is the Hebrew word zamar, which means playing an instrument or singing. Psalm 47 6 says, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God loves to be praised with music. In fact, did you know that he created the universe to musical accompaniment? He said this to Job in Job 38.7, where were you When I laid the foundation of the earth, when the morning stars sang and the sons of God shouted for joy. God didn't need a boombox. He had live music when he created the universe. When the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, what did they do? They sang the song of Moses. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. In Exodus 15, we see the first women's choir, Miriam and all the women, each having timbrels, and they were dancing. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, we see the first men's choir. It was Samuel and his band of prophets. Each one had a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre. They were singing preachers. So don't stop me next time. 1 Chronicles 23.5, David had a 4,000-member praise band. Each one had a musical instrument, a harp, a lyre, and loud-sounding cymbals. In Judges chapter 5, when Barak and Deborah defeated the armies of Canaan, it said they sang to the Lord. In Nehemiah 12, when Nehemiah dedicated the walls of Jerusalem, he had two great choirs accompanied by cymbals and harps and lyres. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 8, 
David had a congregational sing with harps, lyres, tambourines, cymbals, trumpets, and it says they sang with all their might. Is that true of you? Do you sing with all your might? God likes it loud. Sometimes we'd say, shh, you're in church. Next time you're singing and somebody says, keep it down, say, don't be unscriptural. See, God doesn't say it has to be excellent. He says we make a joyful noise to him. You know what Jesus and his disciples did after they ate the Passover meal on the night before he was to be crucified? They went out to the Mount of Olives and it says they sang a hymn together. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. What are they doing? They're singing to the Lord. God loves to be praised with singing. I think sometimes we're guilty of thinking singing is what we do while everybody finds their seat. It's kind of a fill-in. Or singing is for the really talented, so we call it special music. God loves singing. And he wants us all to be singing praises to him. You know how you can recognize a spirit-filled Christian? Ephesians 5.19. You are singing and making melody to the Lord. And then zamar means to play an instrument in praise to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19 says, singing and making melody. And that, that phrase, making melody, means literally to pluck a string or to twang. So it's to sing and play an instrument to the Lord, which tells me that a guitar solo can be a praise to the Lord. Playing an instrument can be bringing praise to the Lord, and the Bible is full of instruments, stringed instruments like the azor, delsima, harp, sackvet, percussion instruments like drums, timbrels, Bells, tambourines, cymbals. I could play the cymbals. Wind instruments like a trumpet, a cornet, a flute, a pipe organ, a ram's horn. When we were in Israel, we, we tried playing the ram's horn. There's not many notes you can get out of a ram's horn. Just one big boo. God loves music. But there's a certain kind of music God doesn't like. You say, what's that? Uh, Monotone? No. Rock? No. In Amos chapter 5, verse 23, we read this. God says, take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God doesn't want singing that comes from a disobedient, rebellious heart. And that's why the music that God wants to hear is music coming from a spirit-filled heart. That's why I'm not real big on, you know, Elvis sings your favorite hymns or whatever. Because personally, 
and I think God would say, would agree with this, I would rather hear a spirit-filled person with less talent than a super-talented person with no spirit. When I was in Chicago, we used to go down to Cook County Jail and have Bible studies with the inmates, and we would sing down at Cook County Jail together as a group before we broke up into smaller groups, and it was just concrete walls. The acoustics were awful, and we would sing in there to the Lord. I look back at that now, and those were some of the most meaningful times of singing I've ever had. Quality level, I'm sure, was down here somewhere. But sincerity, genuineness, spirit-filled singing, that's what it was. In fact, sometimes we talk about having a quiet time. I'm not convinced that your time alone should always be quiet. In fact, it says of Jesus when he was in the garden praying before he was crucified the next day, Hebrews 5, 7 says he offered prayers with loud crying. So he, didn't, he, he was alone, separated from the disciples, but he didn't have a quiet time. And sometimes my time alone is not quiet. Sometimes in response to the Lord, I will break into singing. Sometimes I will lay on the floor. Sometimes I will kneel. Sometimes I will lift my hands. See, those are all aspects of worship and praise to our God. I would have loved to have been at the first service in Solomon's temple. It says in 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14, they had 4,000 singers with cymbals, harps, and lyres, 120 trumpeters, and When they sang and worshiped the Lord, it says, the cloud of the glory of the Lord filled the temple. They started worshiping and God showed up. What does it say? God inhabits, God inhabits the praises of his people. When we praise, God is at home. You know who the greatest soloist in the universe is? One last verse, Hebrews 2.12 says, In the midst of the church, I will sing your praise. If you check that verse, it's Jesus speaking. Jesus says, In the midst of the church, I sing praise to the Father. How important is singing? When you quench the Spirit in the area of singing, you are quenching the song of Jesus Christ in praise to the Father. That's how important it is. So let's be a worshiping community. Let's be people whose hearts are filled with the Spirit of God so that we cannot say thank you enough to God for what he has done. And let's offer God the kind of worship that he enjoys. We're going to take communion this morning as we close out our service and spend some time praising the Lord. But as we come today and take the bread and the cup, it reminds us of the cost that God paid to make us his children. When we really understand the symbols, the body and blood of Christ, when we really understand the cross, 
then we'll never find ourselves saying, I don't feel like it. I don't want to pay the price. I don't want to pay that cost to worship Him. Because whatever we give in worship could never, never come close in light of what God has given us. I'm going to pray. I ask you to examine your hearts today. If you've got sin in your life that you haven't dealt with, then you need to get right with the Lord. And then come and take the bread and the cup And we will close out our service singing praises to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus who was willing to give himself for us. He was in the garden with loud crying because he realized what it was going to cost him the next day to redeem us. And it wasn't just the physical suffering, it was the spiritual suffering for the sins of all mankind. Lord, help us to appreciate that afresh this morning. And as we come and take the bread and the cup, just pray that you would restore our hearts to a proper perspective. Allow us to look up and see you for who you are. And then out of our humility and out of our vision, of your glory, I pray that you would cause us to break out in worship and praise to you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name.